Have the Baltimore Ravens failed Lamar Jackson by not putting enough talent around him over the course of his first few NFL seasons? We talk about that and more coming up next here on Locked on Ravens. You are Locked on Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition of Locked on Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Ostreicher of Ravens Wire. We're here, of course, on the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for tuning in, making us your first listen of the day. We're free and available on all platforms, including over on YouTube. In today's episode of Locked on Ravens is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is to cover the season with more props, odds, and lies than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And we are here at Taco Wednesday. It's Spencer Schultz of Baltimore. We'll be down back with us again, Spencer, at 10 to 9. Ugly, messy victory for the Ravens in week 13. But what was nice about that day was our little stream over at Picket Brewing. I had a ton of fun doing that live with you and Bobby and Cole and Jake and everybody who was there, everybody that turned out. I mean, it, it was a real blast. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. A huge shout out to Kate and Jason of Picket Brewing Company having us there, hoping to do some more of those in the future. It was fun to meet a ton of listeners and hopefully we're able to get a couple of those going a year or something of the sort. Maybe some away game watch parties there. Would be a really fun idea as well. They do have a super fun special. If you are in the Baltimore area, they're located on South Pocket Street, and they're having a uh, picket for picket event for this upcoming Ravens game. The Ravens are taking on the Steelers. Obviously, Kenny Pickett going to be starting for them. So anytime he's sacked, anytime the Ravens make a big play against him, turnovers, interceptions, things of that nature, they're going to be doing some fun specials and giveaways. So huge shout out to them. And yeah, I had a blast, man. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And now I know the game for a lot of people was much more of a grinded out game than people thought. The Denver team has been reeling all season now. Tyler Huntley comes in cold off the bench for an injured Lamar Jackson, leads that 16-play, 91-yard drive to end the game. Super impressive play. My favorite, I've said all week, was that Kenyon Drake and Tyler Huntley connection where both of them kind of adjusted. They get the ball down inside the Denver 20. But this was a game, Spencer, where, again, the Ravens don't score a touchdown in the first, second, or third quarter, their third consecutive game, doing that 3 of 13 on third down. They miss out on an opportunity in the red zone, they go one for two at the end of the game there. I mean, what were your takeaways on offense for another kind of sluggish performance? Yeah, it was a sluggish performance, and it just came out. Uh, the Ravens came out, and were condensing things. They run a couple plays on their first drive, go three and out, and immediately started to spread the, for the field out. They had four kind of spread looks. It was really interesting to see them on a second and one on their second drive. They go with an 11 personnel under center look with a tight end attached, and – just hand the ball to Gus Edwards, and it spread things out, took the Broncos out of the box, and opened things up just a little bit. Lamar Jackson, it seemed like, was, was kind of struggling to be decisive early in the game a couple of times, and then ends up getting hit a couple times, obviously knocked out of the game, which was a, a huge shock. And then suddenly Tyler Huntley comes in, and the Ravens continue to try to spread things out. And it feels like the approach for Huntley, who I'm writing an article about right now, um, he's arguably the worst deep ball passer in the NFL over a, a relative. It's not a small sample size, but it's not a big sample size. He, I think had 188 pass attempts in 2021 and comes in, looks a little bit more the same this year. He has only made according to pro football focus, two big time throws over 20 yards in his career. He only has two completions over 20 air yards in his career. Although again, it's not a ton of action, but 
what do the Ravens do? They line up, they run little zone beaters, and he fires the ball with everything that he's got at the top of his drop, and he predetermines his reads a lot. He kind of has to try and go fit the ball into tight windows. He ran out of a lot of clean pockets, and is just like a anxiety-inducing athlete and quarterback. And uh, what Jake said on, on our recording yesterday was that he's, a, he's not a pitcher, he's a thrower. And I think that's a really good way of putting it. Um, he is athletic enough to have some semblance of the option game and to go scramble and convert first downs. But if he can't figure out a way to connect over top, the Ravens tried a couple things. They, they ran a double move for Deshaun Jackson, and he just kind of watched it and didn't give him a chance. Uh, he did put the ball over 20 yards twice, couldn't connect on either of them. So in uh, really every metric, he is the least accurate, the least capable of pushing the ball downfield. And we kind of just saw that drag out. They would be able to get a first down here or there or, you know, have a, a five-yard rush and a three-yard pass and a two-yard pass and go knock out a couple first downs and then ultimately end up, you know, running a wild – it wasn't even a wild trick play. It was like the most basic trick play of all time, it felt like. Um, and I think that's why it was, it, was, it was pretty funny to see. And they just couldn't develop that rhythm ultimately. The Broncos are punching them in the mouth over and over again. The Broncos are doing the same thing that – uh, teams have decided to do for quite some time and hold uh, the Ravens offensive linemen to prevent them from combo blocking. And if you get called for it once for five yards, but you prevent the Ravens from generating any explosive runs, then you're in pretty good shape. And um, Gus Edwards, you know, not looking super explosive after he did look explosive coming back uh, and then gets the hamstring injury, which obviously, you know, if you've ever had a hamstring injury, it really is going to shorten up your strides and make you feel not super confident to be able to kind of stride out and, and accelerate and burst and things of that nature. So Kenny and Drake get some run. And then lo and behold, I mean, offensively, it comes down to the final drive. They end up having the longest drive of the Ravens season, starting deep in their own territory and find a will and a way to convert on fourth down multiple times. And then Tyler Huntley's, you know, scramble drill creativity is kind of the shining star. It feels like of what he's able to do. Um, he can get the ball out in rhythm a little bit, but then when he does break the pocket, anything can happen. So uh, that's that's to me. I would always rather have a mobile backup quarterback. I feel like it gives you some sort of uh, backyard looseness that you can go create and then hopefully break a couple plays and, and go find a way. And then he floats a fantastic ball about 12 yards to Kenyon Drake after hitting a pump fake and drawing a defender up and gets the Ravens down and then goes and plunges it in the end zone. So um, they were definitely reduced the game plan for Huntley. They have a, a pretty set philosophy. Hey, we're going to try and help him get the ball out quickly. Um, going forward, you know, however many games he plays, one, two, three is what it sounds like. Hopefully just one, but going to have to figure out a way to manufacture something over top. You can't just keep living, basically firing the ball three, four, five yards over and over and over and over and over again, um, especially when the Ravens just don't have an athlete like a Debo Samuel or a Jamar Chase or someone of that sort that can go be a game breaker. Uh, and even Mark Andrews last year, Helped Huntley out in that capacity. We saw him against the Packers and the Rams was breaking tackles, was sprinting 40 yards downfield, but even he's hobbled at this point. Hasn't looked like the same player since that AC sprain. Started to look a little bit more like himself in this one. So hopefully another week goes by. He feels a little better, gets better uh, feet under him and can, can go shake and bake a little bit. But the Ravens need some help this week offensively. Yeah, and Huntley com ended up completing 27 passes, but only for 187 yards. So not a ton of big ones for him. But what about defensively, Spencer? The Ravens, they hold the Broncos to no touchdowns, just three field goals 
on the day. You have Greg Dolstich, who did some damage, 6 for 85. Jerry Judy had 4 for 65. But Russell Wilson, only 189 yards passing. They only average 3.1 yards rushing per carry as a team Denver did. So what was your overall takeaway from the defensive performance? I think the front seven played pretty darn well. Linebackers played pretty darn well. Uh, Adafi Owe played well. Clays Campbell played well. Those guys banged around in there and, and ran and tackled decently and made some plays. But I was impressed with Russell Wilson, and I was really concerned about the way that Chuck Clark and Geno Stone played in this one. They were committing to the run early and often. They allowed the Broncos to float balls over top. They're lucky and fortunate that the Broncos didn't end up somehow managing like an 80-yard touchdown or something the way they were biting. Dulcich came open downfield pretty clearly uh, due to safety error several times and was a, a really dreadful performance on the back end from, from Stone and Clark. But Roquan Smith was a minister of madness in this one. He shut down the Broncos' run game. He made big tackles on screens. He was running around like a man possessed in this one. And I think him, along with you know the heroics of, of Tyler Huntley on the final drive, are the two reasons this Ravens team ultimately won. Comes down to the final drive there. And lo and behold, Russell Wilson suddenly to the, you know, malcontent of Ravens fans suddenly starts running a four or five again and is sprinting down the field, hitting hesitation moves and zipping around like it's 2012. And uh, the, the Broncos seem to forget that they're not a mile high. They're at sea level, try and kick an M&T bank record 63 yard field goal, which I was cracking up laughing at the game. Like there's no possible way in Justin Tucker's stadium. Are you going to, break his record by multiple yards. So uh, it, was, it wasn't a terribly windy day, but that south end zone Tucker has talked about, he thinks that's the hardest place to kick in all of football in any stadium. So it was uh, funny to see that, but the Ravens did enough defensively, just enough. And it was funny you hear after the game, Adafi Owe saying that there was kind of chatter on the sideline with the way that the, the Broncos defense was shutting down the Ravens offense. Hey, we're, we're going to have to score here. And I think we saw the Ravens start trying to get aggressive and maybe a little bit too much ripping the ball out and some things and, and ended up getting away with it. But I like that mentality. I like that attitude. That's what the 2001 Ravens had to do when they didn't score a touchdown for a month. And this defense is supposed to be a group of leaders. They're going to get Marcus Williams back hopefully this week, it sounds like. So suddenly, you know, Marcus Peters had a nice day and hopefully is able to put some woes from previous weeks behind him. Finally, you might get like a healthy-ish Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Williams, Kyle Hamilton, Roquan Smith. We'll see what happens with Patrick Queen. But thinking about early in the season when it was, you know, Marlon Humphrey going down against the Dolphins and, you know, you've got like Marcus Williams newly playing again, Marcus Peters, Pepe Williams, and trying to integrate, you know, whoever else you can, Jalen Armour Davis versus – and. and what we also have completely forgotten about from early in the season is that Ravens edge group was basically Adafi Owe and Justin Houston early on in the season. They were playing, you know, 80, 90% of snaps. And then suddenly now it's like, oh, wow, Adafi Owe is coming off the field. He looks a little sharper. Jason Pierre-Paul is having a big game. Tyus Bowser looks like he didn't miss a beat somehow off of an Achilles injury. Looks like an effective player. He's playing well in the run game, able to get a little pressure, dropping a coverage like he was last year and before. Uh, and then, you know, Justin Houston still creating pressure. So they have a deep rotation that they can't even get David Ajabo on the field, which is a blessing in my opinion. And, you know, I think we will ultimately see him when the injury bug does force someone to miss a game. That's unlikely that that doesn't happen, but uh, it's, it was a really strong defensive effort and the Ravens are going to need that defense, especially Sunday to really be a boa constrictor against Kenny Pickett and the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
Right, the Ravens, that defense has been kind of dragging this offense across the finish line. Now, the offense went out there, and they scored the game-winning touchdown on that drive. But my favorite stat from the defense is that although the Ravens did go 3-13 on third down, Denver was just 2-12. So Baltimore did a better job, even though their offense really, really struggled on third down. Coming up, though, in our second segment, we'll be diving into Lamar Jackson. We'll be talking about the weapons the Ravens have surrounded him with and if the organization has failed him so far with those weapons. So be sure to stay tuned. Still a ton to dive into here on the show. But first, this episode is sponsored by Turo. Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want wherever you want it from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Australia. Book a spacious SUV or a minivan for a family road trip. Get a classical luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Or find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from point A to point B. You can test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eye on to see how it fits in your everyday life. Many Turo hosts can deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms, traditions, and exclusions apply. Forget boarding up the cars and find your drive at Turo.com. We're back here. Our second seven of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Allstriker still here with Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown. And Spencer, there was a lot of chatter, especially yesterday on Twitter. I think GetUp had a couple segments on this about the Ravens and the, the roster they've put around Lamar Jackson particular the weapons they have put around Lamar Jackson and you see people talking about look who Joe Burrow's throwing to look who Josh Allen is throwing to Patrick Mahomes and you look at the Ravens Mark Andrews is by far and away the best pass catcher on this team but wide receiver wise we haven't seen the Ravens go out there and get Lamar Jackson his DeAndre Hopkins or his Stephon Diggs I know we've talked about this before but you draft Rashad Bateman you obviously go back to Marquise Brown you draft two first round picks Bateman is now done for the season so the whole conversation has been well, now your wide receiver one is Devin DuVernay. You have to have Demarcus Robinson step up and play a huge role. Over the course of Lamar Jackson's career, he hasn't necessarily had that top flight, pure number one guy. So do you think, Spencer, that Baltimore has kind of failed Lamar Jackson so far with some of these weapons they put around him? Well, I think, number one, the Ravens, I wouldn't say have failed Lamar Jackson, maybe so much as their own philosophy might have bitten them in the in the behind there. They have never traded a first-round pick in the John Harbaugh era for a player. They want to draft. So they went, as you said, Kevin, they draft Marquise Brown. They draft Rashad Bateman. Uh, last year it felt like, okay, wow, you might actually have a trio of highly effective pass catchers, one of the best in the NFL, frankly. And then what happens? Rashad Bateman gets a hernia. And then Lamar Jackson gets hurt. The offensive line isn't good enough. So it just feels like whenever it's, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. All right, we get the weapons an injury happens. And then the offensive line completely crumbles. Suddenly you have Alejandro Villanueva, you know, being the worst left tackle in football, Lamar Jackson gets skittish in the pocket. There's, you know, a ton of uh, domino effects going on with that. Lamar Jackson ends up missing time, all of those things. So I wasn't a huge fan of trading Hollywood Brown away. Um, I, I agree with, you know, if he doesn't want to be here, what does Mike Tomlin always say? You know, we want volunteers, not captives, not prisoners. So I understand it from that perspective. Uh, to me, Rashad Bateman was that guy. And I think we saw that over the first two games when he was healthy. And into the third game, you know, they didn't get him the ball a ton. It's not like even Devontae Adams has games where he only gets targeted a couple times. But against the Patriots, he makes a couple winning plays late. And then that foot injury pops up. So, to me, Rashad Bateman was going to be that guy. Could the Ravens have addressed the wide receiver position more effectively? Absolutely. But when you go look around the league, and, and really to, to preface, I guess, the, the difference between Rashad Bateman and Marquise Brown is that Rashad Bateman is someone that could win isolated. It was more of a well-rounded type of skill set 
than Marquise Brown was. Marquise Brown, very quick, smaller, you know, not someone that's going to be able to rumble over the middle of the field a ton, but uh, was really good in the intermediate game. When you're looking at his stats at the Cardinals right now as I'm writing this article that I mentioned earlier, he's only caught one ball over 20 air yards a season in Arizona. He's still not a bona fide deep threat. I don't know what has happened in his career with that, but I digress. So you come in, you're like, all right, well, we've got Rashad Bateman, who are going to go line up against number one corners in space and either make that team try to win one-on-one against him or bring a safety over, which is going to open up things on the other side of the field. So early in the season, we see Devin Duvernay bunched with Mark Andrews and then Isaiah Likely or Oliver or you know another receiver, whatever it is. Devin Duvernay has two touchdowns out of bunches. You know, Mark Andrews is playing well early in the season before he gets hurt. He's on a toward pace, you know, was really keeping par with Travis Kelsey uh, on pace to put up like 1,300 yards through the first, I think, six games of the year. And then the foot injury happens. So it's like, could they have prepared better? Yes. When you go look around the NFL, how many teams truly have two wide receivers that could fill that isolated role? The 49ers, the Bengals, Maybe the Chargers, who haven't had either of their, you know, Mike Williams or Keenan Allen for most of the season. Um, You know, I wouldn't say the Bills have that. I wouldn't say the Broncos have that. Uh, I'm going through here. You know, Chris Godwin, everyone keeps talking about the Buccaneers in these conversations. Chris Godwin's coming off of an ACL. He has not looked like himself at all. Um, You know, the Cardinals tried to do it with Hopkins and Brown. And just now, you know, in in mid-December are finally getting them on the field at the same time. So, you know, the Chiefs don't have that. They don't even have one receiver that you really trust as an isolated type of guy. Um, I think the Commanders have it. The Eagles, you know, kind of have it. A couple other teams here and there. But it's not like you look around league-wide and it's like, all right, the Titans don't have it. You know, the Jaguars don't have that. The Steelers doesn't feel like they do. The Seahawks are a team that does. But, you know, maybe seven, eight teams, I guess. I'm, I'm trying to rattle through all these teams here. Have two receivers. And, Guess what? If you take Stefan Diggs away from the Bills, what are they going to look like in the past game? I don't think it's going to look nearly as good. Uh, if you take Justin Jefferson away from the Vikings, if you take, you know, uh, DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett away from the Seahawks, it feels like those guys will all regress. Those pass offenses will all regress. So was Rashad Bateman enough? No, it was like Murphy's Law. You know, you, you it felt like everyone saw it coming. What if he goes down? So, of course, he goes down. But at the same time, they've had bad luck. Uh, part of that, you know, self-inflicted. They drafted Marquise Brown over Debo Samuel and Metcalf and A.J. Brown and, you know, all these other talented receivers, Terry McLaurin, with a screw in his foot. So they invited themselves to that. That is still giving Brown issues. He missed his time because of it this year. And then Rashad Bateman goes down, and I, I don't know. It's a complicated situation. You know, it felt like they got the offensive line right, and you had a yin and a yang of Andrews and Bateman, and then – you know, a couple other guys that can contribute, a Demarcus Robinson and a Devin Duvernay, and now you don't have much without Bateman. So it's uh, it's a tough situation. And have to, to answer the question, I don't think the Ravens necessarily failed him, but they didn't do enough to guarantee that they would be a Super Bowl competitor or contender. And I think that, again, any of those teams where you feel that way about their receivers, if you take one away, maybe other than the Bengals, if you take one away – then it feels like the pass game is really going to suffer. And I know with these conversations, a lot comes out about Lamar's future and what his contract situation holds and, you know, whether he wants to be in Baltimore, whether they're going to ever agree on a long-term extension. So we have a couple of mailbag questions. One from Ravens fan 17, who says, what's the realistic possibility of the Ravens realizing that they and Lamar can never come to an agreement and he's traded this off season. And one from Lucas box says, what are the chances that Lamar never puts on a Ravens Jersey? 
again. I mean, where are you, Spencer? We've had a couple months since obviously the Lamar and the Ravens tabled those talks after the offseason. Where are you on Lamar's future right now? I feel like at this point in time and, you know, hearing some things that Lamar kind of just left the stadium before the game was over and things of that nature. Uh, I don't know. I don't really think there's a huge shot that we see the Ravens come to a long-term agreement at this point in time. I would anticipate them to exercise that franchise tag. I would think that Lamar Jackson in turn would hold out. And then we see the Ravens deal him is, it kind of feels like the most likely outcome. Um, I don't, I'm not sure that it can be salvaged at this point in time. And I'm not sure that Lamar is totally bought in. I think that this season would have gone a lot differently if they were able to get Lamar what he wanted. I feel like there's been a little extra pressure. We've seen him regress as a deep ball passer after starting out so well last year in that sense. And uh, kind of feels like the offense has just been discombobulated for so long and it's a very uncertain position. And uh, if I had to lean one way, I would, I would think that, you know, we don't see the Ravens agree a long-term deal to a long-term deal with Lamar and that, I don't know. I don't, I don't think at this point in time that there's many positive signs leading to or indicating that he would be a part of the Ravens long-term plans in the future. And I'll ask him about that question on my own here. Based off of that, what does that do to their offseason? You know, if they and Lamar can't agree to this deal and they have to look for a trade partner or whatnot, what does that do to the makeup of their team, the construction of it, and maybe what your goals would be in that offseason for them? If Lamar is to leave, then you need to figure out another option at quarterback. And thinking around the league, you know, what what do the Ravens like to do? They like to run the football. They like to play defense. And it is going to continue on that way as long as John Harbaugh is the coach of the Baltimore Ravens. And it feels like that's the philosophy that Ozzie Newsom instilled as well. And what they did with Brian Billick and now Eric DaCosta and what the DNA of the franchise is. So if Lamar Jackson is to leave, I would think they would net at least two first-round picks in return, if not more. Um, feels like teams are going to be competing to go take a uh, quarterback in the top 10, to go take the Will Levis and the Bryce Young and the C.J. Stroud. And, um, you know, Anthony Richardson's an interesting guy in that sense. So it would open up a world of possibilities and a ton of discourse and draft takes and things of that nature. But it would be trying to restart that rookie contract quarterback, ideally, I don't know that the Ravens are a team that wants to go bring in that kind of mid-level veteran and operate in that capacity. Um, they don't really have the weapons, it feels like, to support that type of player anyway and, and not end up back into the middle ground of where you were with Joe Flacco. It feels like that's pretty much where you were with Joe Flacco uh, before Lamar Jackson. So I'm not sure what they will do. To me, if they do deal Lamar Jackson, they need to go get a rookie quarterback like a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud or an Anthony Richardson and stack as much talent as you can otherwise and see if you can kind of kickstart this thing and do it over. And if that's the case, I don't know that John Harbaugh is the guy that you want to do that with. It, it feels like the Steelers and the Ravens are in, a, in somewhat of a similar boat of you know the, the old guard of the tough AFC North coaches and kind of not really putting out the offenses that can sustain themselves over time to – compete with the high-flying teams in the AFC. So I don't know, a lot of uncertainty if that is the way the domino falls. You know, I wouldn't rule out Lamar Jackson returning, but if he does not, I don't know how the future would show itself. The Ravens would be in an interesting position. And, hey, maybe it would be the Texans that would be willing to give you that number one overall pick. And you can go get a Bryce Young and start over that way in some capacity or something of the sort. So a lot of speculation in that department, but just kind of feels like, Ravens are in a, a weird 
position with Lamar Jackson, and it doesn't feel good for the future of Lamar Jackson's time in Baltimore. You know, I know if that situation did play out, I know a lot of people would view it as definitely an, an all-time fumble by the organization to have a talent like that and have him leave. But Lamar is still a member of the Ravens right now, but he is injured. So we'll see how long he misses in the third segment. We'll dive into Tyler Huntley and what he can do moving forward to help guide the Ravens to some victories. We'll talk Greg Roman and more, so be sure to stay tuned. Still a lot to dive into here on Locked on Ravens. But first, this episode is sponsored by Bet Online. BetOnline.net is the number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and even esports. They've got it all over at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. I'd love to use them over to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. We're back here rounding out Locked on Ravens on Wednesday. Kevin Ostrager here with Spencer Schultz still. And Spencer, Lamar's injury was diagnosed. There, the report's PCL sprain. So you're looking hopefully in like the one to three range, hopefully more towards the one week of that. But so it's going to be Tyler Huntley show until Lamar's ready to be back on the field. What are you looking for from him based off what you saw against Denver, what you saw last season? How much confidence do you have in Tyler Huntley that he can be the guy to lead them to victories while Lamar's out? Well, I think in this sense, it might be that your defense is going to have to put you in position to win ugly with Tyler Huntley at quarterback. And Huntley himself, again, just not someone who's a terribly accurate deep passer. He can't really threaten defenses vertically, uh, has not shown that at all. And if the Ravens are to win games, it will be because he has to and does. He needs to be able to connect. It would be nice to see Devin Duvernay get some chances. Duvernay at this point in his career, I believe, has had two catchable targets over 20 yards this year. He has caught both of them. He had one last year and caught that one and then won the year prior against the Pittsburgh Steelers, which he caught. He has never not caught a catchable or on-target pass downfield. They need to open it up. You need to isolate Devin Duvernay. You have to allow him to try and go win in that sense downfield. He has awesome speed releases. He's not a super subtle mover necessarily but he has flat out speed and he can run he can stack he has a thick build while not being a super short guy so he can kind of stack around dbs and threaten them over top he's good hands and concentration downfield so i think that they really need to focus on trying to push the ball downfield to duvernay um, deshaun jackson has looked really sharp surprisingly um, against any kind of competition he put a broncos db on skates and made him break dance a little bit on a, a little bit of a 15-yard vertical route where he sits down and comes back, throttles down. So, you know, him and Duvernay over top and trying to work the ball to Demarcus Robinson, who's been a nice player for the Ravens over the last month or so. But uh, it's going to be tough sledding. The Ravens' run game doesn't feel like it's in a great place. Their offensive line got their butts kicked. If they don't have Ronnie Stanley again this week, they're going to struggle. Ronnie Stanley is a linchpin for the Ravens' run game. It is no coincidence that they struggled early in the year running the ball, and there's questions. What do we need to do? What do the Ravens need to do in their press conferences? How do you get the run game going? Well, when you have Ronnie Stanley in, who is an incredibly nimble six foot six, you know, 320 pound guy, as opposed to Pat McCary, who is a fine pass protector, but has shorter arms, isn't an imposing guy. Can't really bully guys out of their, uh, out of his gap. That's a huge difference. And it's, it kind of has that uh, domino effect down the line and it opens up what you can do in the run game on both sides to really all gaps. So to get the run game going, they need Ronnie Stanley back. Uh, it would be nice if for once J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards, you know, they could get lucky enough to be able to grace the field for a little bit and look explosive. As soon as Dobbins starts to look explosive, he goes out. As soon as Edwards starts to look explosive, he goes out. So 
I mean, with Huntley, it would be nice if there was a player that could kind of take some pressure off of him and generate some explosive gains. And if they had Ronnie Stanley to help and able to do all those kinds of things. But in the end, I, I feel like it's just going to be what we saw last year. Their defense is going to have to create turnovers. Uh, they might be able to manufacture a couple scoring drives on some plays to Andrews. But Rashad Bateman was big for Tyler Huntley at times last year. They don't have him. And there's no Marquise Brown to kind of go be uh, consistent underneath in the offense. So it's going to be a little bit of a hodgepodge group that they're working with. And again, Huntley can't really push the ball downfield. So he really needs to figure that aspect out. I don't know how else to put it, but uh, it's going to be a mixed bag of results. And if the Ravens can score, you know, 16 points in however many games he starts, at least they'll probably give themselves a good shot to try and win at the end of the game. Yeah, and speaking of Ronnie Stanley, you do hope that he gets back. But a question from Finley Holiday says, Daniel Falele struggled against the Broncos. From a coaching perspective, what can be done to help improve his performances? Because he's Patrick McCray with the foot thing, kind of rotationing. So with Falele, Spencer, what are you looking for in terms of improvements from him and how that can be fixed up? Yeah, Falele started to look sharp at certain points earlier in the season, but he has not consistently gotten depth in his past sets. And especially in true pass sets. So he needs to just move those big old feet, man. That's really the key for him. He needs to be a little lower, get those feet moving off the snap, and then use his length to wash players inside or outside. He has ungodly long arms, and they're not you know, skinny NBA arms. They're you know, meat cleavers that he has at six foot nine, and he just needs to get himself in position to just allow edge rushers to commit one way or the other and then ride them around the pocket or wash them inside. So uh, keeping his head on a swivel is imperative, especially when the Ravens are sliding to the left. He really blew an assignment uh, early in the game last week that ended up in a sack for, of Lamar Jackson. So again, it's just, you know, they, they could really use Ronnie Stanley, but Falele needs to really, really, really just focus on getting depth in his pass sets and continue to put in that work. Well, and also there's a question from James K about receiver separation. He goes, why can't our receivers get separation? And how can that be fixed schematically? Andrews is obviously dinged up, so he can't pick up the slack. Where are you with that? Well, separation, there's two kinds of separation. There's separation against man coverage and there's separation against zone coverage. The Ravens don't see a ton of man coverage. They don't really get the opportunity to go shake someone and not have another player in another zone somewhere along, you know, the, the middle of the field or wherever it is. So, uh, with Huntley not being able to push the ball downfield, there might be some room to rumble over top. You have to try and take some shots. It would be nice to see uh, some, some scissors concepts, some more crossers and things. You really need to spread the field out and getting separation against zone coverage, as the Ravens see, is making the zones bigger, forcing defenders to cover a larger area within their zones. And that way you can have mistakes and coverage and go find those areas. But I think the Ravens receivers did get separation last week at times. We saw Devin Duvernay uh, down towards the five-yard line kind of have a sliding incompletion. He lines up as the number two to the left slot on the left side and just runs a simple dig, runs 40 yards across the field between zones wide open most of the time. And Tyler Huntley is just looking left and right and left and right so quickly. I don't know how he could even see anything and then rolls out and tries to go hit Duvernay and puts it behind him. So I think it's a, a matter of just playing a little bit more calmly uh, trusting the offensive line to hold up, having good ball security in the pocket. If you're going to do so, don't run out of clean pockets uh, unless you you know see a easy opportunity to go pick up five, 10 yards or more in a scramble and just let those receivers run through zones and try and have that rhythm and timing while hitting them. So uh, it's a little different, you know, Devonte Adams getting man coverage with the safety over top and, and being able to shake someone 
It's a little different than what the Ravens get a lot of the time. It's a lot of zone coverage, running through zones, trying to force defenders to pass off, forcing them to be in high-low situations where they have to commit low or they have to, you know, pass something off and just need to continue trying to find those key reads pre-snap and hit guys when they're open. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of that has to do with the execution, but obviously some of it has to do with the play calling. And no, Spencer, we've talked about Greg Roman for hours on this show as he's been a very hot topic for the last couple of seasons. Fern Gully 441 asked kind of a simple one. Why does Greg Roman still exist? I mean, this, this is a guy who obviously very controversial right now. I seriously thought that that two-minute drill was going to define who would be the offensive coordinator for this week against Pittsburgh, whether the Ravens got a touchdown and won the game or whether they lost the game here. Obviously, we're very far into the week already. It's Wednesday, so there's not going to be a firing at this point in the week. Obviously, the Stanford interest has been reported as mutual here, but it wasn't enough. There was another non-inspiring offensive performance. Now there is the situation where Jackson goes out, Helmley has to come in, cold off of the bench. But where, where are you with Greg Roman right now after another kind of sluggish performance? With a backup quarterback, it kind of skews things. Um, at this point, I don't know. It's just I, I feel like Greg Roman gets a lot of heat, but it's not like he has crazy good receivers to work with. It's expecting, you know, uh, 1999 Toyota Camry to perform like a Bugatti. It's not going to happen. They don't have great weapons. Their starting quarterback isn't in. And I don't understand why it, more of this kind of uh, fan resentment doesn't ultimately lay onto John Harbaugh. It's what John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta and Steve Bashotti want to do. They want to run the ball. They want to play good defense. They want to control time of possession and do all of those things. If there was the Ravens did have Rashad Bateman on the football field still, if they had gone out and traded for, let's say, uh, Devontae Adams and that player still wasn't performing and the pass game isn't performing, I think that's a different story. But it's kind of like, you know, asking him to, to make lemonade out of bark and then getting upset when he doesn't make lemonade. So, I think for what he is, he's good at what he does. And for what the Ravens want, there aren't a ton of guys on the planet that are a lot better. You know, maybe a Kyle Shanahan. He's a head coach for a reason. Um, someone that I've been interested in, you know, maybe a Brian Johnson, the quarterback's coach from the Philadelphia Eagles, who have had a ton of success in a similar, you know, mobile quarterback system, a little bit different there. But at the end of the day, you know, John Harbaugh is the one sticking with this guy. The, the Ravens brass are sticking with him. And it's that they're sticking with that same philosophy. They're not going to trade a first-round pick for a player. They want to draft. They want to sign their own guys like Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey. And they don't want to go pay uh, a receiver. They haven't really, you know, had a chance in free agency. The They tried to go sign Juju Smith-Schuster to, you know, a modest deal. And they over-offered what, you know, he ended up taking in Pittsburgh. He ends up getting hurt anyway, goes to the Chiefs. Um, really thinking of the free agent classes at wide receiver over the last couple of years, who are the big names? Kenny Galladay has done absolutely nothing. Corey Davis, someone that I loved and thought the Ravens should have signed and maybe would have liked that still value-wise. And, and what he's done in the Jets has been okay, but still not playing up to what his contract was. Christian Kirk, probably the best of the bunch of the last couple of years. Um, you know, Will Fuller is someone that we thought, you know, maybe there would be a signing of Will Fuller. There hasn't been. It's guys like Sammy Watkins who they end up signing. It's guys like Zay Jones who, you know, does torch the Ravens, but um, just – not a lot out there at the end of the day, and they're not going to go trade a first-round pick for someone. So I think that fans are just pretty fed up with it. Um, you know, Marvin Jones, Kendrick Bourne, 
Curtis Samuel's been all right. Uh, AJ Green, T.Y. Hilton, looking through some of these names here. Cedric Wilson, Marquez Valdez-Scantling has been fine in Kansas City. Uh, Russell Gage has not done anything for the Bucks. There's just not really a lot of names. Jarvis Landry, who we talked about on this podcast a bunch, hasn't really done much in uh, New Orleans. So free agency has yielded, what, Curtis Samuel, Corey Davis, and Christian Kirk and paying them you know, three times what they end up giving you in production versus trying to draft guys. They get hurt anyway. And it just kind of feels like no matter what the Ravens do at the receiver position, they just end up on the wrong end of the stick. Yeah, and this upcoming class is not very impressive either. I think, you know, Juju's back on the list after the one-year deal in Kansas City, a couple of others there. And so they're in a spot where, you're right, their philosophy is their philosophy. They don't pay attention to the outside noise. They do what they want to do, which I think any organization should. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are ready for this team to make that parting of ways with the first round pick. Go out there and get a guy. But what makes it even difficult to do that this offseason is the fact that they don't have a second round pick anymore. So would the Ravens really realistically wait until the third round to pick a guy in a draft where we have heard Eric DaCosta speak about how they value the picks, how they value the, the compensatory formula? I think that, you know, they should at least consider it. But I just don't think it goes with what their values and what their philosophies are as a team overall. But Spence, that's all I have for you here today. Thank you so much for hopping on. Tell the people what you got going on over at Balls Don't Beat Down and any other content you're putting out. Yeah, I got some articles coming out this week. We'll be doing the Money Down series. You mentioned it earlier. The Ravens somehow manage every single week since I've started the Money Down series to outperform their opponents on third and fourth down, ultimately. So they've been one of the better teams on third and fourth down in the league, uh, both sides of the football. This, this week, their defense stood on 10 fingers and toes. Instead of uh, their offense, it was three of 13, but they get it done on fourth down offensively three times in this game and working on that as well. So you can find that at BaltimoreBeatdown.com. You can find Spenny's football channel on YouTube. You can find anything else on Twitter at Ravens for Dummies. Thank you so much. And go give five stars to the man who rewards you with the best daily Ravens coverage. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you guys next week. A huge, huge thanks to Spencer for hopping on, giving his knowledge, giving his insight into this Ravens team. Again, Baltimore has that big Week 14 matchup with the Pittsburgh Steelers on the horizon here. That's all I have for you here today, though, on Locked on Ravens. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to hit that like button, subscribe on YouTube, and follow along anywhere you get your audio podcast. When we get back here tomorrow, we'll be diving into more Ravens content, so be sure to stay tuned for that, and I'll see you right back here tomorrow.